47 years of rich history and Australian Stockhorse bloodlines. The Dolby Stockhorse Sale is the largest affiliated Australian Stockhorse Sale in the nation. The Dolby Stockhorse Sale and this episode is brought to you by the Ray White Rural Dolby and the Darling Downs branch of the Australian Stockhorse Society. Find them on Facebook. Five and recover. <laughs> Not even high pressure, I don't know the word to describe it. <laughs> from the Saddle. I'm Caitlin Hewitt and this is From the Saddle. Signing a scholarship with the Brisbane Broncos at the age of 14. A humble country boy raised in the red dusty soil of Dingo, Queensland shares his journey. From a small town to the big smoke, the mateships and mentors, Ben Hunt is now nationally known as a professional football player. Hearing Ben's story shines light on the strength and resilience it took to overcome one of the biggest challenges he's faced both personally and professionally, recognising the positive outcome of dusting off the shame and guilt and coming back stronger. From the saddle. From the saddle. Hi, Ben. Thank you for joining me today. No, no worries. Appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Mate, the nation knows you as the professional football player and they're probably wondering why on earth you're a guest on From the Saddle. But (laughs) your grassroots are as country as they come. Mum and Dad owned a cattle property in Dingo, Queensland, which is where you spent your childhood. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Grew up there until I was 12, went to boarding school. Had a few years down there and then off to Brisbane to Big Smoke. So what was life like for Ben Hunt in Dingo? There's not much there. Yeah, yeah, pretty much your typical little country town, laid back, riding horses, motorbikes, um, getting up to a bit of mischief now and then, and yeah, just real country kid. So you did ride horses as a kid? Yeah, always had horses as a kid. Dad yeah, still had horses their whole life, and I think I was probably about four the first time, yeah, went riding and getting led along out of mustering and stuff like that, so... He always grew up on the pony club and the odd campcraft here and there. Did you love it? Yeah, loved every minute of it. Everyone like now living in Sydney and even when I was living in Brisbane, like, oh, how could you grow up in such a small town? And to be honest, it was the best childhood I could have imagined. Um, every day you get to come home and either jump on a motorbike or jump on a horse and pretty much go and do whatever you like, and I, I loved it. So fast forward, you went – from the small town of Dingo, which back then would have had, I don't know, maybe 80 kids in the school, like maybe? No. When I was grade seven, I can remember it clear as there was 36 kids still at the school. There you go. My last year, yeah, pretty small. Yep, 36 kids straight to St. Brendan's. Game changer. What was it like? Yeah, massive game changer. Um, obviously, went into boarding down there and moving away from home was a, was a really big change, but also going to a, a much bigger school and getting thrown into a bunch of people that you never met before was it was quite a shock. But um, to be honest, after the first couple of weeks, I, I loved every second of it. Once I made a couple of mates and sort of got settled in, um, boarding school was amazing. I, I enjoyed every minute of it. What did you find hard at the beginning? What were some of the biggest challenges at the start? Um, probably the couple of biggest ones were just sort of getting into a routine of trying to get your own laundry and stuff sorted out and, you know, learn, I guess, how to live away from home a little bit and look after yourself a bit more and not have a mum around to, I guess, run around and do everything for me, which she did. 
I guess the other one would be just making friends. Um, you know, I think I knew one kid at the school uh, when I went there and that was, you know, I guess just getting thrown into a bunch of blokes and trying to do your best, navigate yourself around and find some mates. You're pretty reserved, so you're not an extrovert by any means. No, not at all. Um, but in saying that, it's something that at boarding school, I think it's sort of forced upon you because you live together, you, you're pretty much sleeping a couple of metres away from, from your mates, so you're sort of forced to, you know, make some friends and I think it, that's what made it a bit more easy is just living with them full time. Do you think that experience has helped you transition into, you know, when you went to Brisbane, when you go to Sydney? Yeah, I definitely think it has, uh, especially when I first moved to Brisbane. Um, you know, I was obviously first proper moving out and having to live by myself and pretty much cook, do everything by yourself. I think having that time at boarding school made me a lot more comfortable in the fact that I was moving away, going to a big city and living so far away from family that, well, I've kind of done this before, so I'm going to be okay and I can just get down there and attack everything that comes my way and I felt a lot more comfortable in doing it. So St. Brennan's, is this where you found your love of football or did it start before that? Oh, I definitely started before that. Uh, I think it really grew a lot more when I went to St. Brennan's. That's where rugby league, I guess, got a bit more serious for me and obviously the older you get, the more you know, you move into positions to play on the field and you're, you're learning different things, whereas a young guy, you're pretty much just learning how to tackle and pass and, you know, score a try. So, yeah, the love definitely started, you know, back in Dingo and playing for the Blackwater Crushers um, as a young fellow. But, yeah, once I got to high school, it really grew. Did you have anyone that really, I guess, helped you and mentored you during that time? Uh, in my younger years, it was really mainly my dad. He played a fair bit of footy when, when he was younger as well and from hearing around the place, he was pretty handy and, you know, he was always a big influence for me and still is and you know, he's someone that I definitely still lean on um, with footy and away from footy. But um, another one was a coach, Terry Hanson at St. Brendan's. He was massive for me. He, he was always someone that pushed me to be better and you know, improve my footy and you know, I'm really grateful for that. So, mate, where did the journey start for you in a professional career? Yeah, so pretty much finished school uh, 2007, uh, moved to Brisbane December that year. was still 17 at the time, started pre-season for the Brisbane Broncos under 20s. So you were under contract at this point? Yeah, signed a contract. I, was, I think I was 15 or 14 or 15 when I first signed a contract with the Broncos. It was... Kind of a scholarship and then it sort of led into a contract and, yeah, it took me into the under-20 squad, which was pretty lucky. The first year of under-20s was 2008, so it was my first year out of school and just timed it really well. Went down and went into a full pre-season with them and, yeah, into under-20s, played two years of that and then um, got elevated into the first-grade squad. So 14, 14 or 15, you signed your scholarship, which led into a contract. Did you think at this point that, you had something special? Um, I knew I was extremely lucky and, you know, not many kids were in that position to, to get something like that, but there was always a bit of, you know, doubt or, you know, just a young kid, you just think, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to play NRL. I'm like, I'm just playing footy what I love. It's never going to equate to something like that. And you know, I just thought I was very lucky to to have those opportunities to go to some Broncos camps and, you know, get some gear and, you know, sort of say you can have a scholarship with the Broncos. It was 
yeah, I never at that stage knew that, you know, I was going to be an NRL player at all. Did anyone tell you you would be? Did you believe it? Oh, there's definitely people at times that told me I would be, yeah, for sure. You know, you, you go down to those camps and there's, you know, the scouts from the Broncos and the coaches and stuff tell you you got this and that and you can be this one day and things like that. But it's just still hard to believe as a kid, you know. You, yeah. You sit down on the couch and you're watching your footy and all these great players are playing and you think, no way, I can't do that. I can't ever be up there with them. And it was just something that, yeah, it was just always too far away for me to really you know, think I could make. So, mate, 17 in Brisbane, living the life as a professional athlete. What was it like? It was pretty wild. Um, you know, moving from a country town in Dingo to a boarding school and then into Brisbane, which was, yeah, pretty crazy. than a big city. But, you know, I moved down to Brisbane. The Broncos had a house there that, um, you know, a bunch of players could move into, the young guys, and which, again, was, was pretty lucky. So I went straight into having some mates down there and, you know, we had to go to, to work during the day and off to training together in the afternoon. So that made things a lot easier, again, for me, which was very lucky. And, yeah, just trying to get into that Brisbane lifestyle of, or well, firstly trying to find my way around the place. It was <laughs> pretty crazy doing that, using the old Refidex out at the, that time. Trying to get around, it was <laughs> got a bit lost a few times trying to go to work. But um, it was all great times and, you know, something that I really enjoyed was, yeah, just getting down there and really living the city life away from the country for a little bit of something different. Just going back to the directions, growing up in the land, did your dad ever give you the directions, like the classic, just go to the tree with the fork in it and, you know, follow oh, that yeah. around and don't turn there, just keep coming, there's a rock on the uh, side of the road? Uh, 100%. <laughs> you get the old, yeah, I know, you got to go into this dam and then you go around here and you got to go over <laughs> through the Y gate. Oh, yeah. And I've had the Refidex anymore, so that no, no. <laughs> <laughs> be tricky. Absolutely. So, mate, how did your domestic skills rate at this point? Yeah, it looked pretty ordinary. I could probably cook some spaghetti on toast and that was about as far as I went when I first went down there. But, um, you know, again, back to the living in the Bronx house, there's a few of us there and, you know, the Broncos sort of helped out a bit and, you know, coaching the boys and teaching us how to cook a few things and, you know, mum showed me how to, to cook a lot of different things, which has definitely helped, but it just sort of grew over the, the next couple of years of going to Brizzy and, you know, now I kind of rate myself as a pretty good cook, to be honest. Very good. So, mate, on the food, as a professional athlete, do the Broncos play a role in, you know, guiding you basically to feed your, um, feed your body to fuel it? Yeah, there's always been dietitians and nutritionists and stuff come in and obviously give us advice and, you know, tell you what you need to be eating, what you don't need to be eating and, you know, what days, like obviously leading to games, you want to have more carbs and different things like that and, you know, to be honest, there's a period of my career there where it sort of went in one ear and out the other ear and, it's something that I guess really slowed me down for a while. I was overweight and wasn't in the best condition that I should have been and, you know, obviously to play professional sport and, yeah, it took a couple of years for me to sort of wake up to myself and, you know, pull my finger out and, you know, start eating correctly and you now I've probably got to thank my wife for that, to be honest. She really, she's starting to be a dietitian now and, um, yeah, she really probably put me on the, on the right path with that. Yeah, good. So who was your coach at this point? Uh, so under-20s was Anthony Griffin, which is pretty crazy that he's coaching me again now. But, yeah, first year down in Brisbane and into the under-20s, had a couple of years underneath him. And uh, once I got elevated to the first grade, the coach was Ivan Henjack at the time. Did you find like you formed 
a mateship really easily with the guys or were there any particular players that you gelled with? Um, yeah, I guess there's another lucky thing that, you know, being part of a team sport, you always, you know, you move somewhere, you're thrown straight into a group of mates pretty much straight away. So, you know, that was always something that was really good for me. But, you know, there's guys in, in the team that, you know, they're from that first year that I'm still probably best mates with. Um, Andrew McCulloch being one, Drew Yehi, um, they're probably two of the guys that I'd still call my best mates now. And there's always guys in teams that are a bit funny. You're never going to get a footy team that you know, doesn't have a couple of strange characters in it that yeah. <laughs> are a bit odd. But, you know, overall, they're all pretty nice fellas and they're all there for the same reason. And you, know, you go out to get the job done together. So what was the moment for you where you thought, holy crap, I'm playing with the guy that I never thought I would? Who was it? Darren Lockyer. Yeah. It was pretty pretty easy. Um, yeah, he was a guy that you know, I remember growing up watching. You know, I thought he was the best player ever. And you know, I remember the first day going out to training with him and just thought it was not real, to be honest. And you know, it was a couple of years of just training with him, I guess, and just seeing how impeccable he does everything um, was pretty unbelievable. But the, yeah, the day I finally got to play a game and you know, alongside him, it was that's kind of when it, the penny dropped, I guess, that the dream had really come true. Yeah, I bet. How did it feel? Oh, it's very surreal. It's hard to explain, you know. it's There's just somebody here that is probably one of the best players to ever play the game. You grew up watching him and he's a famous guy that you never thought you could be and here you are running out on the field beside him. It's it's very hard to explain to people how, how special that feels. Yeah. So at what point did Wayne Bennett come into your life? Yeah, so it's a bit of a strange one, I guess. So the first year of under-20s when Anthony Griffin was the coach, Wayne was still the coach of first grade at the time. So he sort of, he'd come down to training now and then and sort of have a yarn and throw his two cents in, but never really did too much. So I met him a handful of times and whatnot. And then he, he moved away, went down to the Dragons and off to the Knights. And then he come back, oh, end of 2014 to 2015 season. And he took over as coach again. And um, obviously we went on to the grand final that year. So he, he must've done a pretty decent job, but um, he's a very, very special man, Wayne. Um, you know, I've always found him, to be more of a, a people person and rather than a coach, to be honest, I just think he knows what makes people tick and how to get the best out of each individual. There's got to be a lot in that, hey? Oh, there is. You, know, it's, you look everywhere he's gone, he's had success and like I said, like he always gets good coaches around him, but he's really the people man and knows how to get those people going. From the saddle. Ray White Rural Dolby specialise in residential, rural and livestock sales marketing. The Darling Downs branch of the Australian Stock Horse Society is a non-profit organisation and together they host the largest affiliated Australian stock horse sale in the nation alongside an incentive camp draft program highlighting the quality pedigree, ability and performance of the Australian stock horse breed. The Dolby Stock Horse Sale. Follow them on Facebook. From the saddle. From the saddle. So, Ben, 2015 grand final. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bit of a wild one. <laughs> so, mate, 
October 4, 2015, you were playing halfback for the Brisbane Broncos in the NRL Grand Finals against North Queensland Cowboys. Brisbane Broncos took the lead, scoring their first try just six minutes in and finished the first half regaining the lead 14-12. to Yep. The second half was played out as a defensive battle and Jonathan Thurston's kick took the game into extra time with a 16-all score on the board. North Queensland kicked off first in extra time and it was at this point there was no other player in the nation that felt the way you did. Take me back. Yeah, it was yeah, definitely a bit of a, a life-changing moment for myself and, you know, I can remember when they scored the try to, to even the score up and Jonathan Thurston's taken the kick from the sideline for the goal and oh, I thought it was all over right then. I thought, yeah, he's going to kick this and they're going to beat us, that's it, but you know, he missed the goal and it went to overtime and, you know, right, we, we got the ball from the kickoff and I knew Cole Felt was kicking off. He's got a probably one of the biggest kickoffs I've ever seen and come down and, you know, I've spilled the lollies, obviously, and, um, yeah, it was probably the worst feeling I could ever imagine just run straight through me. You know, the second I dropped that ball, I knew that we had lost. I just knew it. I knew they had Jonathan Thurston. They're going to get a set of right on our try line. He's going to kick a field goal. It's all done. And turns out, yeah, three or four tackles later, the field goal goes over and that was it. And, yeah, it's something that did take me a couple of years to, to fully get over. And um, to be honest, it still comes popping up here and there every time I play the Cowboys and you got Cole Felt lining up to kick off again. It always comes back into your mind. But, yeah, it's definitely a tough time in my life. I'm going to be completely honest here and say I don't follow the league, but (laughs) (laughs) you know what? For weeks, I saw the footage of you crouched down with your head in your hands. There were so many people in the nation that felt this with you and backed you, but there was a hell of a lot that didn't. How did you handle Mm. this personally? Yeah, it was was definitely tough. You know, like the there was the people closest to me, like my family, my teammates, my friends and and a lot of other fans that, that really did support me and get behind me. But, you know, there's so many people out there that just want to tear you down and, um, you know, they jumped at that and, you know, I've copped it for years and you still get the odd kid or someone come up to you now and ask you about it and just try and, yeah, I guess take the piss out of you. But, um, oh, it, it was tough, you know. I remember the first person that came up to me was Justin Hodges and he was fully behind me and said it wasn't my fault, mate, like we've all got, got your back. And, yeah, it's just hard to, to really take any of that in when you know that it was your fault. You know, it's all on you. It doesn't matter what anyone else says. You're the one that dropped it. And it was just really hard to get over the fact that, that it was me. It was me. It was no one else's fault. It was my fault. I let the team down and... I think that was the hardest thing, you know, playing a team sport, the biggest thing for me is I never want to let my teammates down and that was exactly what I did. So personally, that was the hardest thing that I had to get over. What did Wayne Bennett say? Oh, he was extremely supportive, Wayne. Um, I didn't see him until we got back into the sheds and he came straight over to me and was pretty much the same. He said, mate, you need to keep your head up. Don't let this define your career. You know, you're a better player than that. You know, it's not your fault we lost tonight. That's just part of the game and we need to move on. And he still coached me for a couple of years after that and, you know, he never mentioned it ever again. He just wanted me to move on and forget about it. What about your teammates? Yeah, they're all exactly the same. That You know, I obviously don't know what they were saying away from me, but when I was around them after the game and, you know, for the time after that, they were all very supportive and, 
you know, fully back me and, you know, same thing, said it wasn't my fault and that I just need to move on from it and grow and keep continuing to be a good footballer. Ben, did it ever get so bad you thought, I didn't sign up for this and I just want out? Yeah, there was definitely periods um, over the past few years, I guess, that there was times where I just, oh, this isn't for me, you know, I've, I've had enough. Just the weight of it all and, um, you know, it comes when you're not playing good footy and your, your team's losing and things keep building on top of it and then you think about that grand final and other people bring that up and it just keeps it like a snowball, snowball effect and yeah. there definitely is, has been periods that, yeah, I was thinking it was enough and I, I wanted out. I just wanted to move back to the bush, get away from it all and just get on and live my life. You know, as much as it destroyed you internally, you have come back from it and does it feel surreal to sort of think it felt like the worst moment in my entire life but I'm on the other side of it? Yeah, it's something that I'm, to be honest, pretty proud of now that I have pushed through all those tough times since then and I know I've come out the other side and I know I'm a better player for it and I'm not a lot more resilient as a person for it and yeah, it is it is a bit surreal but yeah, I'm extremely happy and you know, I'm very lucky that Oh, I think that it has happened to me and it's made me a better person. You mentioned that it still affects you. In what way? Like just sort of mentally? Yeah, just mentally. It's now and then if, you know, obviously people mention it or you happen to see it somewhere, it obviously just flashes back into your mind that, you know, that moment and what happened and, you know, different times in games. If, yeah, like I said, playing against the Cowboys and, yeah, Cole felt still kicking off and there are these big towering kicks and it just flashes into your head and it just sort of plays tricks on you that you, you don't really want in there, I guess. Sadly, people make much bigger mistakes in life, but the problem is the cameras were on you, the nation was watching you and it's, yep. you know, every everyone else's mistakes are often missed. Yeah, exactly right, and, and that's part of being a, a professional athlete. Um, you know, the cameras are always on you, and that's something that you need to learn to control and, you know, understand that that's going to be part of your life forever, and, um, yeah, that's what it is. You know, everyone makes mistakes and, you know, a lot bigger mistakes than that, but obviously never never always going to be caught on camera, and, you know, I've learned to live with that now. Yeah. So how did, like, at what point did you think, holy crap, you know, I am very well known across the nation? You know, prior to the 2015, at what point did you think people actually know who I am? This is weird. Um, probably the first time I noticed that. I think I was probably around my second year of first grade. I probably played twenty oh, odd games, and you just start getting a few people around Brisbane. If you go down the street, would say, "Hey, can I get a photo?" Or, "Hey, can you sign this?" And "Hey, Ben Hunt, how are you going?" And I'm like, "Oh, do I know who that is? Like, who's that?" And you just sort of. You think you're being rude? Like, do I know that person? Or <laughs> should I know him? <laughs> yeah, should I know that we met before? But I think that was sort of the first time that I realised that okay, well, I'm sort of I'm playing that role now, and some people are recognising who I am, and this is going to happen a bit more. Yeah. Once you picked back up after the 2015 incident, as long as that took, what was it that made you just get up and come back and do it again? Oh, it's just definitely the love of the game and, you know, the child inside me that, you know, grew up loving rugby league and just being grateful that I get to play a sport that I love so much and I get paid to do it. You know, it's 
it's just that want to play that game, you know. I'll, I'll play for as long as I can, to be honest. Probably gonna have to wheel me out in a wheelchair, but <laughs> you know, it's it's such a, a special game to me. You know, I've been doing it since I was seven years old, and you know, I want nothing else. So I think that was always the the biggest driving factor is, yeah, just the love of the sport. Do you find yourself thinking, how can I help the kids of tomorrow do this? Yeah, definitely. We always go to, you know, little coaching clinics and schools and do different activities with kids. And, you know, the start of my career is all about just trying to teach them skills and, you know, passing and kicking and all different types of things. But I guess now more so when you go out, that that is part of it. But also just trying to teach kids to, I guess, be a bit more resilient and to let them know that things aren't always going to go their way, but you can pick yourself up and, and move on, you know, and, you know, there's something, going to be something better around the corner. And that you do not have to come from the bright lights and the big city to make it happen. Exactly. The biggest kick I get out of is, you know, our clinics, when it was more so at the Broncos, I guess, you go out to more regional towns and, and little country towns and you talk to kids out there and they're just so much more grateful to, to have someone out to talk to them. And, you know, I tell all of them that, yeah, you don't need to be, you know, some rich kid from the city and, you know, have everything given to you to make it. You can be a, just a little kid from a tiny town and you can go on and do whatever you like. So, Ben, you've got a wife and two kids. How old? Yeah, two little boys. Um, Brady just turned five and Bowie's he's two, so keeping me pretty busy. Very busy. So is Brady in school? Uh, Brady will start school next year. His first year off to the big school, so right. he's pretty pumped. So how's Dad going to go when Brady starts junior rugby league? Oh, I'm only talking about this to a friend the other day, and I don't know. It's... <laughs> It's going to be funny because, you know, I'm always at home and he always wants to learn. He's trying to kiss me to teach him how to do different things and I love doing it. I love teaching him how to kick and pass and whatnot, but I don't want to be the dad that's full on down at training and, you know, in the way and just sort of, I guess, being a dad that where other kids are like, oh, that's been hard you know. <laughs> I, I just want to be in the shadows and let him do his thing and, you know, be himself and, um, you know, I think he's going to be a great little player because he's flying around already. He wants to play every afternoon and I'm really looking forward to watching him. I tell you what, the first 12 months is the funniest 12 months of their football career. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. I don't know, kind of watching some friends' little sons play and, yeah, it's pretty wild. Lance running around. Yeah, yeah. No, it's good fun. So, mate, you're now wearing a Dragons jersey, but what's life look like for Ben Hunt after football? Yeah, life after football for me, um, or a couple of things, I guess. Always wanted to be a firefighter. It's just, you know, something for years and years, something I've always really wanted to do. I think there'd be something very rewarding about being part of that and, yeah, doing that. But I want to get into, yeah, horse training and, you know, breeding horses. I've started breeding some horses now and it's something I'm very interested and passionate about. And, yeah, it's obviously got a lot to learn in, in that area, but, it's something that I'm I'm pretty excited to get involved in. So back to your grassroots? Yeah, pretty much. Um, back to getting in the bush a bit, getting dirty, you know, yeah. falling off some horses. <laughs> well, hopefully not too many, but yeah, just training a few and getting out of some drafts would be nice. Yeah, right. So what are the horses you're breeding? Yeah, so I've just got a couple of broodmares at the moment. Um, they're actually running at my granddad's up in Comet, so I don't get to see them very often. But uh, I've got a, a Spinifex mare up there. She's had a couple of foals now. She actually just had a Conman filly, which is pretty special. I'm pretty excited about yeah, that. Yeah, I so bet you are. She, she'll be ready to go by the time I've finished. And 
I've got a Adios Reflect mare. She's an open mare. She had a Acres Destiny filly last year, and then uh, she lost a foal this year. So I've got to get her back and foal again. Oh, that's yeah. happening! It's happening. We lost one too. Yeah, she would have been about six or seven months along, and yeah, just dad found it down the paddock. It's mm. no good. Unfortunately, it can happen. Well, mate, it sounds like you are going to come into the camp drafting industry all guns blazing, and we do look forward to seeing that. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. Um, you know, keep me to the ground. I'm actually heading out to Chinchilla tomorrow morning early to, to watch the finals of the drafting out there. So I'm looking forward to watching that and you know, hopefully meet a few more people out there and, you know, learn a bit as I go. Yeah. So who, like, who have you got your eyes on? Oh, there's, there's plenty of people, but, um, you know, the, the few guys in the drafting industry, you know, for me, number one would probably be Will Durkin. Um, I just... Just watching him, it just seems so easy in everything he does. Yeah. Um, it's just so natural and, yeah, it just looks like he's not even trying. He just gets the job job done all the time. And another guy that I've actually met and talked to a bit now is young Matty Moffat. And yeah, we I know really enjoy watching him. Yeah. yeah. He's a pretty special horseman for a guy that obviously didn't grow up with horses. He just sort of did all himself and I, I think he's pretty handy and, Probably the other good horseman that I've seen would be Mark Buttsworth. Yeah. Um, to me, just in any discipline, he just he knows how to get the job done. And you know, obviously, there's hundreds more that I could mention, but there's a couple of guys that I, I really like watching. Well, enjoy that, and it has been an absolute pleasure. And I do thank you for sharing your story with us today. And I do look forward to seeing you on horseback. No worries at all. Appreciate you having me on, and yeah, hopefully, make it on the horses sooner rather than later. <laughs> I hope so. Thanks, Ben. No worries. Thank you. Thanks to our sponsors, Ray White Rural Dolby and the Darling Downs branch of the Australian Stock Horse Society. Follow them on Facebook. I'm Caitlin Hewitt, the founder and co-host of From the Saddle. I started this podcast because I knew important stories from rural Australia weren't being told. We hear stories of triumph and tenacity, heartache and loss from rodeo riders, outback ringers, cattle traders, bronze sculptors and more. From the Saddle is an independent podcast. It's just us telling stories that matter to our community and we are so stoked that nearly 100,000 people have joined us for the ride. We're looking for partners this season to help tell these stories because we think they're worthy of being told. They're a part of our history and possibly our future. If you're interested, we'd love to hear from you.